This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to this special Saturday edition of Coffee House Shots. I'm James Heal and I'm joined today by the editor of The Spectator, Fraser Nelson, and Katie Perrier, former Downing Street Director of Comms and now in-house communications. This year we are going to have an election and we're looking ahead today at the election strategy on which the Conservatives will fight it. Fraser, let's start with you first of all. What will the Conservatives fight this election campaign on and what should they fight it on? It's a good question, because typically Rishi Sunak has started the year thinking, what am I going to do this year? And this time last year, he came up with his now notorious five pledges. That was a rather unsunakite thing to do, but he'd done focus groups asking what was important to them, and they came up with this little laundry list of things. And so the strategy then was to say, OK, I cannot pretend that I'm a Boris-style charismatic politician, but I'm a hard worker. I'm the sort of person who can get things done. So I'm not asking you to like me or to be inspired by me or to have Rishi Sunak posters on your wall. I'm asking you to believe that A, I'll work hard for you, and B, I will get results. Now, that strategy is a little bit harder to go into relation with if there aren't actually many results. And there aren't right now. He said to stop the small boats, there's been progress, etc. But I imagine he will be probably looking for a similar retail offer. He, he basically is, um, as George Michael once put it, take these lies and make them true. So he'll be saying, OK, I haven't stopped the boats, but I have reduced them by about a third or a half or whatever. Uh, inflation will be down. There will be... Um, and by the way, he will be able to point to things he didn't mention. For example, mortgages are going down quite a lot. Um, the, there's probably going to be three or four interest rate cuts between now and the next election. So I imagine he will be pointing out to the, the retail proposition how Rishi has worked for you, even though these, a lot of these things would have happened no matter who was number 10. And the other thing that we're trying to do is to talk up labour risk. That will be a slightly harder strategy, I think, because Starmer has rather effectively removed anything that might be accused of being a Labour policy. Uh, and um, he is becoming a sort of uh, a sort of sh- a shapeshifter, but it's very hard to take take aim at. Summer had a very big speech this week where he was talking about Project Hope. He called it Project Hope. He was defining it against Project Fear. I think he's exactly right in saying that election after election, the Tories have fought a Project Fear strategy. They've pointed to Corbyn twice before the Ed Miliband saying, "Look at these guys. They're really out of control. They're really crazy. They're going to." tax the bejesus out of you, they're going to make terrible risks in foreign policy. It is very, very hard to run that campaign against Keir Starmer. You might say a lot of things about him, but it's difficult to portray him as an extremist and difficult to think how any government could tax the country much more than the Conservatives are doing already. Uh, Katie, if we take uh, Keir Starmer's proposition and that there's a Project Fear and a Project Hope, which of those should the Conservatives fight on? Obviously, they've been in office now for 14 years. It's very difficult as an incumbent government to reinvent themselves. How should they approach a fifth election in succession uh, and try to turn those polls around? It is incredibly difficult, as Fraser just said, uh, and some of those threats of a risk uh, don't really stand up when you're talking about Sir Keir Starmer, who you know, many voters think quite boring uh, and quite run-of-the-mill. In fact, some voters will think there's not much between them. They're kind of managerial. They want to try and get on with the job. Um, one, one in Rishi Sunak saying, give me more time to do these things. Uh, COVID was in the way. The, you know, the, the economy, not just in England, in the UK, in the UK but around the West, uh, suffered. But we're bringing that back down again. 
And so he's trying to, to beg for more time and say, look, let, let us deliver. But the time that they've had means that people are looking at the Labour Party, not just thinking, oh, you know, they, they're saying the things that matter to me. These are the policies that move the difference. They're actually not listening at all. What they're thinking is they're getting real sense from us in Westminster and kind of the bubble um, who's up and who's down and they're getting real sense that it doesn't really matter who the offer was right now as long as it's not conservative as long as it's not another couple of years of this lot that's what they're thinking and then they were tuning closer to the time to actually listen to any policies which is one of the reasons probably why Keir Starmer doesn't feel the need to push ahead with any kind of firm commitments any detail doesn't want anything nicked or stolen from the Conservative Party either in the run-up to a, this long year that we've got in front of, in front of us but also probably feels it doesn't need to, because if electorate isn't really listening, but they just know that they don't want the you know, incumbents at the moment, then that's probably enough to, to carry Keir Starmer forward. So, and we've also got to think about the timings, the timings of this potential election, right in the middle of potentially the American elections or shortly after, um, or shortly before, depending when Rishi finally goes for it. This is going to be an election that's fought heavily online, lots of online spend, lots of, you know, very, very quick moving. Uh, and we're going to be in an age of disinformation for, probably for the first time in terms of um, what we see in the UK of stuff we don't know whether it's true or, or, or is false. Um, that's going to have another layer of complexity that's going to be really, really hard to, to tackle. So uh, they both need to find a way at some point to offer hope, but one's going to be a little bit more credible than the other. It's striking to see, actually, a Labour strategy here to basically regard the next election as an active exorcism to basically get rid of the Tory demon. And their role is just simply to hand out the garlic and stand back. And that's pretty much it. Uh, And it might infuriate uh, people like me saying, look, what would you do differently? It might infuriate the Conservatives. But Starmer, the the more vague his policy becomes, the the more solid his Labour lead becomes. Right now, he's got a 17-point lead. And one of the things we're trying to do in the Spectator Data Hub right now is to find out how many other oppositions in history have been so far ahead at this stage in the election cycle. And it looks right now as if he he basically is in the top four. And by the way, needless to say, no government has ever recovered from being 17 points behind in an election year. So it is a fairly effective strategy, perhaps an infuriating one, if you believe that elections should be a contest of ideas and that you would like to see how Starmer is going to do things differently. He basically says, look, A, I'm not going to be the Tories. B, you've got no real reason to fear me. C, actually, there isn't a C. And that seems to be a pretty good strategy for him so far. I mean, Katie, when we talk about these things, about the issues on which politicians want to fight an election, we, I suppose, give them a lot of credit for being able to be the master of events and you know make the political weather and say, we're going to fight on this and hopefully the media and the, the, the public will let us talk about those issues. But actually, uh, as we've probably shown from 2017, it's very often not the case, is it? And there could be a case, perhaps, that uh, events get away from politicians and we end up talking about a completely different set of issues from the ones we thought we might be talking about the campaign when we went into it. Absolutely. Um, First of all, you've got to think about the fact that Rishi Sunak wants to make sure he still has the gift of when he chooses the next election to be. He's got to get through these Rwandan votes first. That is going to be really difficult. So, you know, the party might make that choice for him a little bit earlier than he anticipated. But say he gets through and he does get to choose that election. It's also the style of the election. I remember when I left number 10, Theresa May was 24 points ahead in the polls. Yes, it was built in quick stand, but we did know that Jeremy Corbyn was not a threat, was not someone that we thought was uh, you know, going to inspire the nation into putting a cross against his name on, on the ballot box. And sure enough, you know, we were probably a week away from the possibility of him collecting the keys 
from number 10, uh, for the doors of number 10, if if that election would run any longer. Uh, you can see that that evaporate really quickly. So it's not just about the ideas and the plans or the lack of them. It's also about the performance on the road and how quickly that can change. You can have one or two moments where it goes very, very wrong for you. And trying to claw back from that, even if you started off really well in that campaign, it can change quickly. Plus, other people can come good. Do you remember the time Nick Clegg, all of a sudden there was Clegg mania and people thinking that this man's brilliant. It was a one hit wonder. But for a minute there, that's all that people were talking about. We don't know the role that Nigel Farage might play in the next election, but what if all of a sudden he captures the the national imagination? He's come off of a successful TV programme where we thought he might end up being not very liked and turned out they liked him quite a lot. So um, where a conservative strategy might be, I know what we're going to do. We can talk a lot about immigration because Labour doesn't really have the answers. Could well play into reform's hands. There's a lot riding on not just how you go into these uh, campaigns, but just every single performance during that campaign can can alter the events quite dramatically I mean Katie mentions the point there Fraser about being on the road being actually out on the stump as it were how good are campaigners are Rishi Sunak and Keir Starmer well uh, neither of them are particularly good this is the this is the funny thing and um, and a lot of them like Rishi Sunak is now saying as Theresa May said look I'm at my best when I'm on the ground I'm not really good at giving podium speeches I'm, I'm really uh, come into my own talking to voter after voter. I remember that Zach Goldsmith said that as well when he was doing his disastrous London campaign. The slight problem is you, there's a limit to how many voters you can really go around and see, person to person. In a media campaign, your personality needs to come across. Uh, and if you're able to project yourself as being a trustworthy, affable, or sort of or reliable prime minister, then that is worth a million doorhouse knocks. So Sunak, by and large, thinks, and I think he's right here, I think he's unusually good at doing the sort of town hall events, talking to a whole bunch of people. I think uh, you sort of see a certain down-to-earthness of him, which is certainly an aspect of his character. Um, And Starmer, I think, is more lawyerly, more sort of standoffishness. He always looks like he's presenting somebody's case, not particularly effectively. Uh, and I don't, um, I don't think he, he, he's a sort of he, he, a malign person or anything like that. So I, I just think that when it comes to interacting with voters individually, Sunak will probably have more opportunities for good breakthrough moments than Starmer will. But you can get politicians, of course, or, um, who are doomed to be or to have it said of them that they're really nice people in person, they just don't come across that way on TV. Then you can get the opposite, like Ken Clark. But generally speaking, it's a gift which neither of those two possess. Uh, Katie, you'll be familiar as a Downing Street veteran with the sort of uh, methods of uh, CCHQ and the dark arts, the Tory operatives, etc. I mean, just looking ahead, what do you think are the kind of main attacks that the Conservatives are going to hope and uh, exploit against Labour? Uh, obviously, you've seen lots of briefing around things about uh, the budget that's coming out quite early and potential traps that the Conservatives might open up there. Um, what other things do you think they'll try and bash Labour with in the coming months and the short campaign that follows? I think it will be around the issues of the economy that the spending plans are out of control already and they've tried to row back, um, especially around the 28 billion spend on green prosperity plans. Um, It will be around immigration. They don't have a clear plan for immigration, which sets out how they're going to reduce numbers of illegal and legal migration. 
Um, and so um, they will start to pick apart, apart at certain policies and the lack of them or the lack of clarity around those policies. Um, but of course, it's really, really hard to come from a position of where you're defending something. The Fraser started this by talking about, about how it's hard to defend a record when your record is not perfect and you haven't delivered on what you said you were going to deliver. So um, for every problem poke of, of the you know, inabilities for, for Labour to get their message uh, clearly across, I think the Conservative Party, you know, almost like don't throw stones, glass houses territory, um, where, you know, they could possibly find themselves in a scenario where they don't want to draw too much attention to the things that they also want to accuse Labour of, because their track record has not been brilliant either. And always remember speaking to Boris Johnson in London uh, when he went for his second mayoral run and saying to him, every day in your job is a legacy you're making for your next pitch. And if you have not built enough houses, or have you not done enough to help families, you know, to, to fight off knife crime in, uh, in inner cities, then you are you you're you're ruining your ability to go again, uh, and you should see it in that in that in that way. And so, it's this kind of I think real ne- necessary grasp on it from uh, the prime minister that every day is one day closer to be able to show show more of what they've managed to achieve. But of course, it's also to point out where they failed. Uh, you know, are we saying that by the autumn the NHS is going to be any better? I put my money on the NHS probably being worse, uh, or or no you know, no improvement whatsoever. Uh, and that's the danger with every week that goes past uh, and this, as we run up to this long, long campaign and we're already in. Uh, how do things improve? Uh, and the, the answer is potentially not very much. And that's a real problem for him. Just as a final question, Fraser, I mean, Katie mentions Boris Johnson there. Uh, the 2019 campaign was very successful. One of the reasons was he was able to distance himself from his predecessors, suggest he was a whole new type of conservatism, reinvent Doctor Who style, uh, a regenerated conservative brand. Should Rishi Sunak go further in distancing himself from his predecessors, uh, Boris Johnson and Liz Truss? Um, I don't really think he should be mentioning either of those two. Uh, he was, for a while, he was planning that strategy of saying, this isn't the fifth Conservative term, this will be the first proper Rishi Sunak term. And I think the Conservatives have managed to have so long in power because they have done that Doctor Who style regeneration. They have changed shape and face. In Theresa May's campaign, she barely said the word Conservative because it was all so much her about her. Theresa May, which, by the way, was a former popular uh, proposition for the month before in the local elections when it turned out to be in the general ones. But Rishi Sunak's problem is that he has now got, as his foreign secretary, David Cameron. He, When you look at the reasons um, he, he said he'd recruited Cameron and why Cameron said he would join, both of them mentioned the campaign. So it seems to be envisaged that Cameron will have a role, an outsized role, in the next general election campaign. Now, perhaps Cameron is intended to... Um, assure people in the Lib Dem target seats that the Conservatives aren't as rabid as right-wing, etc. I'm not quite sure what the strategy is, but I do know that the sight of David Cameron on the campaign trail doesn't exactly scream that this is a whole new Conservative party. This will look like a continuity project. So I think Sunak, had, he was going for a change strategy, but now he has chosen a continuity candidate. And that's what I think will ultimately make this election a lot harder to win for him. The bookies say the odds on him winning are 12 to 1 right now. And I'm afraid to say I think that's pretty fair odds. Thank you, Fraser. Thank you, Katie. And thank you for listening to Coffee Hour Shots.